Hello and welcome to Water Island's Long Short Strategy Update. My name is Brian Davis, and today we have Portfolio Managers Ted Chen and Curtis Watkins of the Water Island Long Short Fund. Thanks for joining today, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Of course. As we all know, the last month has been quite a challenge on multiple levels. Never before have we seen the type of disruption we've witnessed over that time. Our primary concern here at Water Island Capital is the health and well-being of everyone listening to this call. However, as event-driven specialists, we do want to keep you apprised of all the happenings within the event-driven universe. Let's get started. Ted, it's been nearly five years since we incepted the Water Island Long Short Fund. During that time, you and Curtis have taken a pretty unique approach to long-short investing. Can you describe that to us? Sure, Brian, and thanks again for having us on the call. Maybe from a 30,000-foot view, I think where we differentiate ourselves the most is our long-term strategy is really predicated and remains grounded in what we as a firm do best, which is underwriting the risks of companies that are going through some sort of corporate catalyst. You know, our core bread and butter is merger arbitrage, and so that corporate catalyst is a deal closing. But in the long-term strategy, what we focus on are the softer corporate catalysts, situations such as spinoffs asset sales, bankruptcies. By focusing on these corporate catalysts, we believe that we can create a return profile that exhibits low volatility and low correlation to the broader market, but really without compromising any ability to generate long-term alpha. Thanks, Ted. Curtis, Ted focused and and mentioned corporate catalysts as something that differentiates you. And naturally, thinking back to 9, 12 months ago, those same corporate catalysts as you were investing back then may not be the same as you see today. Can you describe any catalysts that you either expect or are seeing currently as we hope to come out of this crisis? Yeah, thanks, Brian. And just to sort of expand upon the list of catalysts that Ted mentioned at the beginning, you know, we, we look at corporate catalysts that include things like speculated and rumored transactions. We look at transformational mergers and acquisitions. We look at activism turnarounds, and liquidations as some broader opportunity sets. And while that may look or think be a disparate list of opportunities, there's one common theme in there, and that's really that as corporate change happens at these companies, there tends to be a lot of shareholder turnover. And that shareholder turnover creates a dislocation and is really the opportunity for us to generate alpha that's uncorrelated to the broader market. Often we describe our being investors as we're bridge investors. And we're really bridging between two shareholder bases, the shareholder base before the catalyst and the shareholder base that will ultimately own the security after the transition completes. A good example of that and a company that's likely well-known to people is Xerox. Since 2016, Xerox has gone through a significant amount of corporate change. It's spun off its business process outsourcing business It attempted to sell the company to its partner, Fuji Xerox, which was ultimately blocked by shareholders. Those shareholders then ousted the board and completely replaced the management team. And all the way to today, where Xerox has most recently tried to buy their much larger print rival, HP Inc. At every turn in that story, fundamental investors that own Xerox needed to rethink their core investment thesis and understand whether, you know, what had changed. Our opportunity is really to assess the risks of those transitions 
and understand whether or not the market's over or underpricing those risks. As an example, with Xerox, in 2016, this presented an opportunity for us to short the stock because the company had announced their spinoff, but it was going to take a year to complete. And we didn't believe, uh, we believe that the market was overvaluing the value creation opportunity from that spinoff for an event that was really a year away. But fast forward to the beginning of 2017, as the spinoff was nearing completion and Xerox had underperformed its peer group, what we recognized was that Xerox was finally valued for what it was, which was a mature printing company that generated a lot of cash flow. Knowing that there was a core investor base that invests solely on dividend yield and cash flow-oriented metrics, we actually turned around and got long Xerox and were rewarded for that as these dividend yield-oriented investors came into the stock. Ultimately, this is really just trying, this example is just trying to underpin how we can create alpha by really taking an objective view of the catalyst and try to accurately assess whether or not there's a market mispricing of that security as it goes to the transition. As it relates to the current opportunity set and opportunities that will come out of the crisis, it's clear there's a lot of companies that will be balance sheet constrained the longer the virus impairs our ability to go to work and consume products normally. In, in that regard, Xerox is as relevant as it was for corporate catalysts. The company has recently now abandoned its hostile takeover of HP Inc., and there's no doubt that the company's pro forma balance sheet leverage was a factor in that decision. However, the rationale for consolidation as expressed by both the company as well as industry participants means that this is still a very logical transaction to get done. I would expect that as we get to a place where markets normalize, this is a transaction, a logical one, that could get to the finish line. So really, that's how the team's focused right now in terms of thinking about opportunities coming out of the crisis. We're focused on companies where there were M&A transactions that were close to the finish line that were likely derailed by the crisis and now priced little to no probability of that transaction consummating, as well as those companies where their balance sheet constraints are going to force management teams to enact some corporate change. Ted, thinking back to your experience during the financial crisis of 2008, what corollaries or lessons would you take from that time? Sure. 2008 is actually a very good relevant period to, to look back on. And what I'd say is in that time frame, when I had looked at investing in these strategies, one of the things that we have to recognize is that there's going to be a time period where there is uncertainty and there is an unknown. And today, much like in the great financial crisis, there is uncertainty as to how long and how deep a potential recession could be. And the reality is it's not just us as investors trying to understand and get our arms around that. It's the board the members, the companies. No one really has an idea yet. People have theories. People have thoughts around it. And people are operating their businesses according to what their best assumptions may be today. But as we know in the last three weeks, how much the, the market can change on a dime. And so when we think about the corporate catalyst that we can invest in, we have to understand that as these boardrooms are discussing the types of transactions that they may be looking to pursue, the uncertainty in broader marketplace is naturally going to have them second-guess themselves. And so as we look at investing our portfolio, and this is much in the same way as what has occurred in 2008, what we want to focus on are the catalysts that are much shorter in duration, the ones that are right in front of us, the ones that have been announced, that they are already in motion because the companies are committed to those. 
They've made those commitments. They've had planning done for those transactions. What we want to avoid are the ones that are much more longer in duration, ones that are softer, ones that have not been definitively announced, because those plans can change much more quickly. And so as we think about our portfolio, one of the things that we've taken as a learning lesson from 2008 is to make sure that we focus on opportunities that, that are hard and right in front of us. The second thing that I'd say in terms of uh, a learning experience uh, from 2008 is really don't underestimate the leverage that's in the marketplace. And we have leverage players that are invested in a lot of the opportunities that, that we have also been invested in, in the past. And we need to be cognizant of how the leverage in the system could cause severe dislocations. And so we need to be patient with our capital. Uh, we need to understand that the volatility is going to provide opportunities, but also be cognizant about how we deploy the capital in that type of environment. There is going to be a lot of emotions, and we understand that. And as we get more emotions in the marketplace, the market becomes much more trading-oriented. And one of the things that we need to do as investors is to balance that between what is a good trading opportunity and to get long certain opportunities because we think they are washed out or short opportunities or stay on the sidelines. But more importantly is to make sure that we don't miss out on the long-term opportunity because in six months from now, in a year from now, the market and the sentiment is going to be vastly different. And there are going to be opportunities that we're going to look back on and say those are opportunities that we should have gotten involved in. So there's a balance. We've got to balance the emotions, but we've got to balance what the long-term opportunity is as well. Outside of those which you just described, have recent events caused you to alter your approach to investment management? So, you know, the way I think about it is, broadly speaking, it really hasn't changed much. And, you know, this is our investment philosophy, our long-short balance and focusing on the duration of catalysts. You know, there's going to be a point in time where opportunities are oversold and we're going to want to extend out on the duration curve. And there's going to be opportunities when there's too much euphoria in the marketplace where we're going to want to tighten up the duration. Duration is important, and it's something to think about. It's similar in the same context of looking at a, a bond portfolio. When you have a bond portfolio that has very low duration, you have lower overall risk. When I look at our long-short portfolio, we're talking about the duration to the catalyst. And we can flex that, tighten or loosen the duration, depending on what we see as the market opportunity. In fact, when we came into 2020, our portfolio was significantly in sort of short-duration opportunities, which is why we've had the performance that we've had in the first quarter, which is really allowing us to be much more aggressive in terms of getting long opportunities that are frankly washed out, where the market is effectively overpricing the risk of the catalyst occurring successfully, as, as Curtis has mentioned. One of the things that we do obviously still think about is we overlay our market views. You know, we're not market timers, but we do have market views. And what we want to do is make sure that we are swimming downstream, effectively being involved in sectors that we know will rebound faster and avoiding the sectors that we think we would be swimming upstream in. Those sectors include autos, airlines, hotels, restaurants, retail, energy. These are the sectors that we want to avoid. Avoid for now, not forever. There's going to be a point in time where there's going to be more transparency. As I mentioned, boardrooms don't know the length and duration of the recession, and some of these sectors are going to be more impacted than others. There's going to be an important time when there's going to be much more transparency, and those are the opportunities that we're going to look at at that point in time. 
brings us to you know, our final point. And Curtis, capital preservation is one of those items that permeates everything we do at Water Island Capital. So what would you attribute your ability to do so in a challenging year like 2020? Yeah, look, our investment process is really rooted in taking an objective review of the catalysts that are at hand and what probability the market is ascribing that those catalysts will create some shareholder value. The work that we do across all of those event-driven situations and unique securities is summarized in a real-time proprietary risk premium ranking metric that we built here at the firm. And what it does is it really monitors the overall event premium or premium that's embedded in this event-driven universe or catalyst-driven universe for those corporate catalysts to actually come to fruition. Ted alluded to this, and as we came into 2020, both the proprietary risk premium metric we have as well as the underlying opportunities in that universe really skewed us to being in shorter-dated, harder catalysts. And then beyond that, just keeping a rigorous focus on our long-short balance. That opportunity only expanded as the spread of the virus started to impact markets, and many of these shorter-dated situations really dislocated in a material way from their fair value. And it was an opportunity for us to really just put more money to work in a similar skew that we had to the portfolio as we entered 2020. As we sit here today, though, that proprietary risk metric that we have really prices little premium for the completion of any corporate catalyst. So our job now is really to assess the opportunity landscape that we have in in the event-driven universe and try to find opportunities where we can start to rotate the portfolio out of some of these shorter-dated, harder-catalyst securities and into places that are maybe a little bit longer-dated and softer catalysts. Ultimately, that rotation will likely give us more market exposure than we had in Q1 Uh, as we go through the balance of the year. Well, Ted, Curtis, thank you both very much for sharing your insights today. For those of you listening at home, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out directly via our website at arbitragefund.com or to your regional product specialist. Check back for future updates. Thanks again for listening, and be well.